Greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, your humble and glorious host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. We have another gigantic show. We've got champions crowned. We've got winners all over the place. We've also got, again, something big that needs to be done in baseball and rectified right now. We're going to break it all down. We've also got Women's World Cup preview coming up here. Huge show, gigantic show as always, of course, and you can catch Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Go to outlandermedia.net. You can check us out there. You can also check out all the other great podcasts, including Haffle, DLSP, DLC Respawn, easy for me to say, the Phantasm Podcast, Deadbeat Radio, also a lot of other great, great uh, podcasts that are coming your way. It's going to be an incredible uh, summer and fall. We've got great stuff happening here at Outlander Media, bigger and better stuff on the way. Cannot wait and looking forward to being a part of that. So all of that, you can check all of that out at outlandermedia.net. You can also check us out, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Check us out on any of those, wherever you get your podcasts. Download them, please. And of course, as always, like, subscribe, share, comment. We want to hear from you. You can check us out at outlandermedia at gmail.com. You can send us anything you've got. You can also enter Interact with me, social media, Michael underscore Shibley is the Twitter handle. Send me any debates you want to have. You have a disagreement with anything. I want to hear from you. I would be happy to debate with you there. And of course, you can check us out at Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook and Modern Day Gladiators on Instagram, where I post some one minute just updates daily about what's happening in the world of sports that we don't have time or something breaking to get to and talk about there that day just to keep you going until the podcast comes out every week so all of that going on as always thank you for listening those five star reviews they mean the world to us so hey if you like what you're hearing please give us a review that's how we get out into the algorithm and make sure everything is hunky-dory and if you do more five star reviews the more i will love you forever out there my modern day gladiators audience but let's get into it we've got all the business out of the way we'll get terry from analytics off my back We'll get into it. My goodness, we have got winners. Of course, we always want to congratulate winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators. So congratulations to Liverpool FC for getting the win in the UEFA Champions League final. 2-0 over English Premier League rival Tottenham. It was, again, another fantastic final match that they have. No miracle comeback this time, unfortunately, for Tottenham. He got off to a rough start for the Spurs as Mohamed Salah, one of the best players in the world, the Egyptian national, he uh, got a penalty kick goal in the second minute of play after a handball by Musao Sissoko, and that, of course, led to Salah just putting it in the back of the net. Easy peasy for him, and Tottenham kept trying to force the action, was not able to do it, and then Devak Origi, uh, the Belgian national, he got a late goal to make sure that there was going to be no miracle comeback for the Spurs, despite them giving their best effort. It was, again, a great matchup, and great to see Liverpool finally win a trophy, having one of the best seasons ever, and had no trophies to go for it. They only lost once in the Premier League. They only lost once, and they didn't even win the championship, because Man City was just one point better than them all season long, because they had more losses, but they didn't have as many draws nearly 
as Liverpool did. So there was the balance there. So the fact that Liverpool then also had the miracle comeback against Barcelona, that was great. Again, just an amazing thing for Liverpool, and congratulations to them lifting the big trophy and getting the win and being champions of Europe for 2019. And again, also congratulations to Premier League uh, member Chelsea for also getting the win 4-1 to against Arsenal, two teams that are separated by about 40 minutes on the uh, British Underground, or the London Underground, I should say. I uh, had to play all the way across Europe in Azerbaijan in Baku, which is interesting, and uh, Chelsea ended up beating Arsenal 4-1, to so they got the secondary trophy there. Congratulations to the Blues on that one. Meanwhile, we move to some of the other finals happening here on this side of the Atlantic. You've got the Stanley Cup final going on as of this recording. Recording it a little earlier this week. I've got a busy, busy week in uh, in my universe, so getting this one out a little early. This is on Monday before Game 4 of the Stanley Cup final, but right now Boston is up two games to one, winning Game 3 in St. Louis, the first uh, Stanley Cup final that St. Louis has hosted since 1970. And they lose 7-2. to The Bruins just went crazy. And the Bruins were also perfect on the power play. They got four of those goals on power play. And obviously the Bruins were mad about that losing game two in overtime on that one-timer that the Blues got, which was, again, a fantastic goal. Nothing's like overtime Stanley Cup final hockey. That is intense. No matter what game it is, it is amazing to watch. And again, Boston looks like they're back in control of the series. We'll see where it goes game four. If the Blues can even it back up, then you're just playing best of three. And Boston, though, does have that home ice advantage. So we'll see where all of that goes. The NBA Finals, they just finished uh, game two last night as of this recording and again it was amazing the Warriors winning 109-104 the wounded Warriors at this point it seems like they haven't had Kevin Durant for a long time we've talked about that plenty on this show but they also in um, about eight minutes left to go in the fourth quarter they lost Clay Thompson with a hamstring injury still has not come out if he's going to be ready for game three but he still had 25 points before that and also, you had guys like Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, some of these guys also contributing huge. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins finally coming off the bench, recovered from his injury with 11 big points. And also, just the ageless, it seems like at this point, Andrew Bogut contributing good minutes. He hasn't—he wasn't even with the team for the full season. He was playing in Australia, I think, for half the season at this point. So adding him back into the mix. Guys are stepping up. And of course, Steph Curry is still being phenomenal, so you don't have to worry about that. What was great here was the run that Golden State went on to start the third quarter. They were down 59-54 to Toronto at halftime. Then they came out in the in the third quarter and go on an 18-0 run, which just shifted the momentum. Even though losing Klay Thompson hurt, the fact that they were able to do that and take a 72-59 to lead was huge. And that's what the Warriors have been so notorious for, is just scoring points in bunches and also playing great defense. Kawhi Leonard did everything he could, had another 30-point game. But again, the Warriors that were still able to make it onto the floor, they contributed. You also had... Again, Draymond Green was just one assist short of his fourth straight triple-double here in the playoffs, so that was amazing. And again, it's that team effort that Golden State is rallying around. Yes, they have great, 
great players, all stars, all pros, everything like that. But again, they are still using what tools they have with the supporting characters. Iguodala hitting the three, the dagger three, right there at the end of the game to put it out of reach so there was no chance of a Raptors comeback. That was big. So again, we'll see where it goes now that the series shifts to Oracle for games three and four. We'll see how this all shapes up. And we'll see where it's going to end up when Game 5 heads back to Toronto. Is it going to be tied 2-2? Is it going to be 3-1? We don't know. We will see where it all goes. Right now, though, it's not it at one game apiece. And they have been some great finals games. However, one of the problems is ratings are down. Ratings were down, I think, 18% for Game 1. They're also down 20% for Game 2. And they have not had Game of Thrones. They haven't had anything else competing with them, which, again, is trouble. Yes, the Warriors are in there, and people are watching for the Warriors. Warriors, but the fact that it's the Raptors, the fact that there's not really any big marketable stars when you really, again, you can argue that, you know, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, these guys are big name players and they make a lot of impact. But when you look at what Twitter is showing compared to what actual eyeball, eyeballs are watching, they're not watching the NBA Finals as much. And does that have a lot to do with LeBron James? Yes, he is one guy. But the NBA needs to do a better job of finding some of these other big stars to make because you, you know, LeBron James is not going to be around forever. Maybe Zion is going to take that torch and be the next big thing to watch all the time like Michael Jordan was and LeBron James. But again, you got to work on the people you've got to get the eyeballs to watch. When it's down this far, that's not good when it goes into the future, when it's time to look for the new network deals and TV deals that they're going to have in the NBA. So we'll see where it all shapes up. If it goes to a game seven, maybe the ratings will pop back up. I don't know. I'm interested in it, but again, I'm not everybody. I'm a sports nut. I'm going to keep an eye on things like this. But the casual guy, because they don't know anybody on the Toronto Raptors, heck, they're half of the people who are maybe interested in it don't even know Toronto has an NBA team. Who knows at this point? I don't know what people, what goes through their heads. But LeBron is not involved, and that is a big hurt for them at this point. Shifting gears, of course, we talked about the finals and everything going on right now. Let's preview something happening starting this Thursday. I cannot wait. The Women's World Cup is happening in France. It's going to be amazing. It kicks off again Thursday, June 6th, on the 75th anniversary of D-Day, when, of course, the Allies stormed the beaches at Normandy and started the decline of Hitler's fortress, Europe. So, again, just a great historical context there. France is taking on South Korea. That's going to be the only matchup on day one, so make sure to keep an eye on that. The United States, of course, your defending champs. They won in 2015, beating Japan, avenging the loss from four years prior when Japan got them right at the death on a penalty shootout. So again, you got to keep an eye on this. And again, for the U.S., they are in Group F, uh, and of course, they're the favorite to make it out of the group. They are also the odds-on favorite. They're the number one team in the world, according to the FIFA rankings, so they are right now your odds-on favorite to win, but we got a lot of other teams involved that could get in there, and I'll break those down here in a second, but let's talk Group F. The United States, they're going to, of course, be on Fox. These games are happening on Fox and FS1, so check all those out. They're going to be right in the middle of the afternoon, so again, good time to watch it. You can take an early uh, leave work early, check it out at the sports bar, wherever. It's going to be a great action. The United States uh, women's soccer team. Also, by the way, they're competing 
in a World Cup, unlike the men, who we've made plenty of mention about them not making the World Cup on this show and other iterations of it, so just remember that. Again, the U.S. looking to be good in this one. They're taking on Thailand in their first matchup. That's on June 11th. Uh, June 16th, they're taking on Chile, and then on June 20th, probably the determination of who's going to win Group F is going to be against Sweden. They're the ninth ranked in the FIFA standings, six on uh, June the 20th, and uh, Sweden, as a reminder, knocked out the U.S. in the 2016 Olympics, which is the other big international competition for women's soccer. So, you know, they've got revenge on their mind there. Sweden coached by the former U.S. coach, uh, as well. So again, things to keep in mind there. Of course, the great players that you got to watch out for Alex Morgan, uh, Megan Rapino, the ageless wonder. She has been phenomenal. Carly Lloyd, again, who had a hat trick in the World Cup final against Japan in 2015. Kristen Press is someone, again, to watch out for. And Julie Ertz, uh, wife of Zach Ertz, who plays for the Eagles. So, again, something to watch there. She is phenomenal as well. So that and many, many others will talk about them as they become heroes here in the Women's World Cup. Looking forward to that. Of course, the other teams to look out for, definitely in the top 10 of the FIFA World Rankings. German Germany, they're number two. They won back-to-back uh, earlier in the 21st century in World Cup rankings. Uh, they also, again, the 2016 Olympic gold medalists in women's soccer, so they are a great matchup. The U.S. beat them in the semifinal of the 2015 World Cup. So again, the Germans are not going to shy away. They're ready to go. England has made a great run. They have built a great program there in England. France, of course, at number four. They are the host country, so you know they're playing with a home field advantage, which is going to be big for them. That home field in World Cup is amazing for a lot of these top programs. And of course, they want to just do what the men did. The men, of course, won the World Cup last summer. So let's see if France can get it done on the women's side. Canada at number five, Australia six, Japan the seventh ranked team in the world. They're, of course, going to never say die. They have been, they won the World Cup in 2011. They came runner up to the U.S. in 2015. So they're not going away quietly. The Netherlands at eight, Sweden, I mentioned at number nine, and Brazil is still there at 10. They've got Marta, again, another ageless wonder. I think this is her fifth World Cup, and she's the all-time leading scorer in women's World Cup history, so she's wanting to go out a winner. Also look at some of the other great players from around the world. Sam Kerr from Australia, uh, Christine Sinclair from Canada, Fran Kirby from England, Amadine Henry, uh, or probably Henri in France, uh, Mana, uh, Mana Iwabuchi from Japan. So some of these other great players. One of the ones you won't see, though, is Ada uh, Hegerberg from Norway. She was the Balloon d'Or, or uh, the Golden Ball winner and the best player in the world last year. She won that recipient. She is sitting out. She's fighting for equality. She didn't believe in Norway there is the right equality for men's and women's athletics. So she is sitting out with disagreements. Um, with the soccer federation there. So she is sitting out the World Cup. Norway did qualify, and they are looking to still make a big impact. I think they're about 11th or 12th ranked in the world. But again, they're going to miss, obviously, Ida Hegerberg not being there. She's one of the best players by far in the world of women's soccer. So my pick, 
because of course we got to make a pick. I'm going to go with the U.S. I, they're number one in the world. They're the odds-on favorite. They've got just stacks of talent and women who are just amazing with a ball at their feet. It should be another great one. But again, it wouldn't surprise me. Everybody's gunning for the U.S. They always will be. If I had to, again, make a pick of someone not the U.S., I'm going to go with France. They're playing at home. They're in their home country, and they've got some momentum. So I think France could make a big impact here as well. So keep an eye out on that. Should be phenomenal. And, of course, we will break down all the Women's World Cup action as it takes place here on Modern Day Gladiators. We are going to take a break, but of course, before we do, let me thank Joe Shirt. As always, joeshirt.com. They are a great uh, shirt and teacups and teacups and coffee and banners, a printing company that makes all types of great stuff. We've got some great stuff from them coming to Outlander Media, all the great designs. They can help you craft a design for your company. They can help you with, again, banners. You've got a softball team. you got work uh, companies, different things. You're a comedian. You are a podcaster like myself. You can come up with a brand. They can help you come up with designs and print it out. The rates are awesome. They are 30 years in business doing stuff here in Knoxville. So if you're listening to this here locally, again, they can help you. The shipping is, there's barely any shipping, especially here locally. And of course, they work worldwide. But again, check them out, joeshirt.com for all the other ideas and pricing information. It's amazing. We love them here at Outlander Media. I can't wait to work with them and get some modern day gladiators merch out there to you beautiful people out there in the world. So thank you, Joe Shirt, for sponsoring Outlander Media and all the podcasts along with that. Now it is break time here, but of course, when we come back, it's shibbles and bits and everything going on in the world of professional wrestling. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you hear the music, you know it is time for Shibbles and Bits here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Let's jump right into it. And of course, we like to congratulate winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators. So in the third round of the French Open, let's first congratulate Sophia Kennan. She won her match 6-2-7-5 over Serena Williams. Yes, Serena Williams in her attempt to win her 24th Grand Slam championship was ended in the third round. That's the earliest Serena has ever been knocked out in the last five years anyway beaten by the 20-year-old American 6-2-7-5, dominating and getting shots right in on the lines. It was amazing to watch. And again, this is something, again, Serena's just going to have to watch out for when it comes to as she gets older. Yes, she has been so dominant for so long. But again, it's something that happens, unfortunately, with all of us. That age picks up and a lot of these young guns might not be as scared of you as you might think when it comes to a lot of these things. So in that, what ends up happening is they're able to do stuff and you've got to use, again, your your Wiley and your, because again, you're not going to be able to get it just on your instincts alone and your raw natural talent. You're just going to have to become, as they say, especially in basketball, play old man basketball (laughs) when it comes down to it and use your, just your experience and all these other things. 
those are big things you're going to have to do. But congratulations again to Sophia Kennan knocking out Serena Williams. And also to uh, uh, Katerina Snitskova, I believe is how I pronounce that, of the Czech Republic. She, 42nd ranked player in the world, knocking out number one seed Naomi Osaka, 6-4-6-2, also in the third round. So the French Open on the women's side without two of the top stars. Osaka, of course, looking for her third straight Grand Slam championship, having won the U.S. Open and then the Australian Open over the past year. So she's out. She had a 16-match, I believe, win streak in Grand Slam championships. That has ended. So, again, without a couple of top stars there in the world of women's tennis. But congratulations again to uh, Sinekova and Kennan getting those big upset wins. Moving on, this is a little bit of a, a sadder note. Moving here into the world of baseball, and again, now as we've rounded the bases into June, so we're finally into where we can really start taking the standings a little more seriously, except for my Orioles, who are terrible again, but everybody else that's win now, we start to pay attention to what's going on in the world of baseball as they've knocked all that spring rust off and we're into the summer, and now it's time to get serious about baseball. But one of the things that is a lot more serious than it needed to be was in the matchup last Wednesday, you had the Cubs and the Astros playing in Houston, and uh, Cubs center fielder Albert Almora Jr. hit a foul ball into the stands, and unfortunately it struck a four-year-old girl, a young Astros fan, and struck her, and the ball was coming off the bat, and it looked like into the stands at around 90 miles an hour, and it was just a terrible scene. You watch the video, and Almora Jr. is just on the ground in tears, just for what happened. I mean, he's got kids. A lot of these ballplayers, of course, have kids. After the inning was over, he went over to check with the security guard to make sure that the girl was somewhat okay. She was taken to a hospital. No report on really her condition, but it looks like she's going to make a recovery, at least from everything that I have heard. So good news there. But again, he was crying into the security guard's shoulder. Just again, he was just inconsolable for so long. It was just a nasty scene where, again, it brings up this question, and we have talked about it on this show before because the question is always, well, are they going to make any changes until someone dies? Remember, a few uh, months ago we talked about this. A fan did die. Last year, a 79-year-old woman, she was struck. She was celebrating her 79th birthday, her 57th anniversary. Linda Goldblum was her name. She died last season after being struck in the head by a foul ball at a Dodgers game. And the Dodgers didn't even admit it until it came out that the autopsy said, no, the foul ball is what killed her. So again, and then in 2017, a young girl, a fan was hospitalized at a Yankees game because of a foul ball. The fact that baseball has refused for so long and they need to make this change now. They don't need to debate it. They don't need to bring it up to the union. Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner, needs to just come from top and say, no, we are putting netting from the home plate to the foul line down the whole foul line to the foul pole on both sides at this point because the fact that it only goes to the end of the dugout again is better than it had been because for a long time it didn't even go all that way you've got to put the netting there because the way these guys had their launch angles and the way the bat speed is and the way that baseball comes off those bats the reaction time is not good HBO Real Sports did a study a few seasons ago talking about this where they even set up a bulletproof glass and they shot baseballs at fans and some of them and again some of them were paying full attention and again you got your phone right there you're not maybe paying full attention 
and you look down for a second, that ball comes, you, that ball is hitting you right in the head, or even fans who brought their gloves, you might be able to get your hands up, but that's not always the case. I mean, when I've brought, say, my wife, Mrs. Shibbles, to some of these baseball games and everything, if we're sitting down the line, I'm making sure to sit closer to the plate. I'm sitting, I'm angling it so at least, because I'm paying maybe a little bit more attention than she might be, so I can at least react and also protect her because she's a lot better looking than I am for crying out loud. So if I'm going to get anything damaged, that's fine. But I don't want any damage coming to her. So, but again, I'm a rarity in that. So many people, they're not fully paying attention. And yes, I know and I understand this, that, yes, you take full responsibility for all batted balls hitting and you're supposed to be aware of that. I know that. That is an argument that we are not having at this point. There shouldn't be a reason for that. You should have the netting up because, yes, if a pop-up comes into the stands and hits you, that is not going to do damage as much as a line drive coming at 90 to 100 miles an hour can do to a human being, let alone a child. You've got to put the netting up the whole way. There's no more debate about it. And some fans, of course, are going to whine and complain, oh, I can't see as well. BS. You can see just fine. At UT Games, I sat behind the dugout in the student section, which was right with the dugout, and there was a netting up the whole time, sat there for an entire season, could see everything for four seasons, for crying out loud. All undergrad, I was at UT Baseball Games. And by the way, heartbreak to UT, uh, losing 5-2 to two to UNC at the end of the regional final there. So Tennessee is out, but the 14th seed North Carolina advances to the Super Regional. Sad to see Tennessee season end there. Anyway, back to the topic that I was talking about. Because again, I can see just fine. You get used to it. It's not that difficult, especially the way netting is now, let alone back in 2001 to 2005 when I was at these baseball games. It is perfectly easy to see through all of that netting. There's no issue. Shouldn't be any issue at this point. You put the netting up. The NHL did that back, I believe, in 2002. After a 14-year-old girl, Brittany Cecil, died after being hit in the head in the left temple with a puck at a Columbus Blue Jackets game, they put netting up all around the goal, and people can see just fine. Put the netting up from home plate to the foul pole, and that's it. It should be an end of discussion at this point. Japan and Korea have done it forever, and I've had some friends, my friend Jesse and Sam, they went to a game in, in Japan, and they said they could see perfectly fine. There was no issue with it at all and everybody was able to enjoy the game just as much as if the netting wasn't there put the netting up end of discussion that's the bottom line because shibley says so (sighs) all right rant over (laughs) but again this is another issue that baseball is playing because one of the other things that's wrong with major league baseball right now is attendance is down for the fourth straight year the tampa bay rays and the miami marlins together combined drew 12,653 people That's it. So a little over 6,000 people went to see games at those stadiums. Baltimore, Cincinnati, Minnesota, and Tampa Bay, they have all set stadium lows this year. Uh, Kansas City has had the smallest home crowd since 2011. Toronto and San Francisco since 2010. The Marlins' average attendance is less than that of the Las Vegas team that's a AAA team. It's not even the major leagues. So you see all of this. And again, there's a drop in fewer season tickets and all of this other stuff that's happening. And again, that's why Major League Baseball for so long right now has been trying 
to shorten these games because, again, the attention span is not there. I love going to baseball games. Granted, if there's a net there or not, I love going and watching Major League Baseball. Baseball is so much fun to watch in person and just spend a day at the ballpark. Took my dad opening day to see the Asheville Tourists. They're, you know, the, what, the single A, I think, uh, of... I don't even remember which team it's with the Asheville Tourists. But again, it was fun. The crowd was great. Everybody had a great time. And it's wonderful to spend a day at a ballpark. But again, you've got to shorten these games. Again, they don't have the pitch clock yet. I am very sure that the pitch clock is coming. All these different things. And also, it's not help helping that you've got these teams that are blatantly trying to tank and pick up prospects and get good draft picks. You can see it happening. What do you think my Orioles have been doing? They're this terrible. Some of it is by accident. They are really that bad, and sometimes they are doing it on purpose. But still, it is just bad to see. And what sucks is the Orioles have one of the most beautiful ballparks in all of Major League Baseball. Oriole Park at Camden Yards is a thing of beauty, still is. But man, it is just depressing to watch just the low numbers going here. But again, it's a whole experience, and some people are just not wanting to do it. You shorten it up a little bit, make prices reasonable, and people will start coming back. But again, it's something else that Major League Baseball has to deal with, along with putting up all this damn netting. Please do that. So, we'll see. Moving on to a true modern-day gladiator. We have a new world heavyweight champion in the world of boxing, and it is... (laughs) Andy Ruiz Jr., a surprise knockout of Anthony Joshua in the seventh round to take three of the heavyweight championships because obviously you can't have just one. There's multiple belts, and of course we talked about Deontay Wilder has the other one uh, in an absolute shocker Saturday night. Sold out Madison Square Garden, all there to see Joshua really make his American debut. And Ruiz closes an 11-1 underdog, according to Caesars, and he knocked out Joshua. He fought that Mexican style. Joshua is the first ever, I'm sorry, not Joshua, Ruiz Jr. is the first ever Mexican heavyweight champion. They've had plenty of champions at all of the levels of boxing. They have not had one in the heavyweight division as of this. And again, he fought Mexican style, just right at you eat punches coming in, but he was able just to hit and just knock Ruiz Jr.'s equilibrium out when it came to a lot of this stuff. He did a great job, and that's why he won. Knocked him down multiple times. I think he was knocked down, Joshua was knocked down four times before they finally stopped the fight in the seventh round. Of course, this screws up a big super fight that was bound to happen between Wilder and Joshua. We'll see where all of this goes. It is great to have top fighters back in the heavyweight division because the Klitschko brothers had killed it forever. So it is great to see that. And again, I was looking forward to that Wilder-Joshua fight, but now we'll see where Ruiz Jr. is going to be in this. Obviously, I think there's going to be a rematch between him and, uh, and Joshua. But again, it's not the biggest upset in boxing. It was a shocker, not going to lie, but it was an 11-1 underdog. You look at some of the other uh, big heavyweight championship uh, upsets. When you look at betting, you look at uh, back in 2001, Hasim Rahman beating Lennox Lewis as a 20-1 to 1 underdog. Michael Spinks in 85 beating Larry Holmes 6-1. to 1. You had, of course, Leon Spinks knocking out, or I'm sorry, defeating Muhammad Ali as a 10-1 to 1 underdog in 1978. But of course, the shocker that we all know and love, especially those who grew up playing Mike Tyson's punch-out on the NES, 
it was when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson as a 41 to 1 underdog back in 1990 in Tokyo. Tyson on the ground looking for his mouthpiece in the 10th. A lasting image there. But congratulations again, as we always talk about. We congratulate winners here on Modern Day Gladiators to Andy Ruiz Jr., your new heavyweight champion of the world. A couple of other light notes here to end Shibbles and Bits. An eight-way tie in this year's Scripps National Spelling Bee. They ran out of words that were going to challenge them. They had a just tremendous assault on the dictionary. Amazing by these kids. Yes, they've got tutors now and all these different training methods, but hey... I'm not going to fault these kids. This is not an everybody gets a trophy thing. They went 20 rounds. The last five rounds, there were no misspelled words. And there was, I think, 43 straight correctly spelled words. That's a pressure cooker. It was amazing because they announced that that 20th round was going to be the last round. So every kid who spelled correctly won it. And all eight kids went up there as clutches. Anybody making a clutch three-pointer at the buzzer spelled their word correctly. It was a really cool sight to see. All of them also getting a $50,000 first prize. So that was really cool to see. So congratulations to all of those kids. Oklahoma and UCLA, their two softball teams meeting in the finals of the Women's College World Series of Softball. That's going to be a fun matchup. They're the top two seeds in women's softball. We'll see. It's going to be a great best of three series, I think, coming up this week. And of course, this is good news here in SEC country, as the SEC has now been the last major conference to lift ban on booze at games on campus. So now, at SEC schools, they have left it up to all different schools individually to decide whether they want to sell beer or wine. That's all you can sell. No hard liquor at these games, but it's a new revenue stream. It's something I think they're looking at even to curtail maybe some of the stuff going on with tailgating. I don't know if that's going to be a thing because people have been tailgating forever, and trust me, they drink plenty in those games. The rules pretty much go around the third quarter Any football game, first of all, you can only get one drink at a time. No buying a whole thing and drinking them all yourself. Everybody gets one drink. They're going to do ID checks everywhere for that. At the third quarter of all football games, it's going to alcohol sales will stop. Third quarter of women's basketball games. I think after the 12-minute media timeout in the second half of men's basketball games, which is right around that point anyway, it's when all of these alcohol sales are going to stop. You want to add a revenue stream, that's fine, because attendance... I don't know if it's going to come back in the way you expect uh, for most of these schools. We'll see again. So many of us enjoy watching the games at home now that I don't know if that attendance numbers are going to come back the way they are expecting it to. So, hey, bring the alcohol in. Bring a little bit more revenue. I'm all for that. And again, they're going to drink anyway. Maybe you can control it a little bit better instead of having all of these people sneaking in all the bottles of booze, even though they're going to still do that. Trust me, I'm not stupid. And anybody who thinks they're not going to stop doing that needs to have their head examined. So again, hey, throw one back, throw a cold one back, enjoy a game. I have no issue with them doing that. We'll see again. Tennessee has not made a decision yet. Uh, and again, we'll see. It is up to all of the individual SEC schools where they want to go with it. And we'll see. We'll see maybe the next year for the Tennessee-Georgia game, you can have a couple of beers and watch Tennessee hopefully do their best effort to at least hang with Georgia. We'll talk, of course, more about college football as the season approaches here on Modern Day Gladiators. That's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys for listening in. Let's move over to the squared circle where some interesting things have happened. We have a new NXT heavyweight champion, and it is Adam Cole, baby. He and Johnny Gargano had a phenomenal heavyweight championship match. Back and forth, told a great 
great story with Adam Cole's injured arm versus Johnny Gargano's injured knee going back and forth. Uh, Adam Cole outsmarting Gargano at a couple of crucial points in the match. Just a phenomenal classic. If you've got the WWE Network, you should be watching NXT anyway. It'll make you feel so much better after just watching what is awful on Raw and SmackDown. So keep an eye on that. Other of couple of things, the Street Profits, your new NXT champions, winning the ladder match in a solid match. The Velveteen Dream beating Tyler Breeze in another good match to retain the North American Championship. Shayna Baszler defeating Io Shirai to retain her title, and Matt Riddle and Roderick Strong opened up with another classic. Matt Riddle, at this point, the king of bros, and I am not someone who likes bros, but he is set for some big things. Matt Riddle could be phenomenal if played right, if they bring him to the main roster and do things the right way. Matt Riddle could be a huge star in this company, so I am looking forward to that. He's even said his goal is to retire Brock Lesnar, which I would be all for at this point. So we'll see what happens there, but the king of bros, Matt Riddle, is amazing. He's got the skills to back it up. He's really good in the ring. Roderick Strong, of course, a great opponent for him, telling a great story there, psychology working the back and all these other things. It was great to watch. Check it out again. If you've got the WWE Network, I don't know why you're not watching TakeOvers at any point. The TakeOvers are the best shows that the WWE puts on every time. Speaking of other shows on the WWE Network, WWE Super Showdown is happening on Friday, and I'm not going to watch it because, again, it's Blood Money in the Bank 3. It's the third event they're having in Saudi Arabia, taking all that blood money. I'm not going to be watching it. Yes, there's some perfectly fine matchups, but I'm not interested in it. Not going to watch it at all on Friday. The big, of course, match they're talking. They keep talking about how it's even going to be bigger and grander than WrestleMania, which it's not. I don't know why they keep doing that, but they are. I guess when you take all that oil money, knock yourself out. But the big matchup will be Undertaker versus Goldberg for the first time ever, which is happening 10, 15, 20 years too late at this point. We'll see where it goes. I'm not going to watch it, so that's it. If anything interesting happens, of course, I will mention it, but they're not getting my eyeballs watching this event on the network after what has happened in Saudi Arabia. I can't justify it at all. Speaking of not being able to justify things, uh, former Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, who, of course, last week made his debut with All Elite Wrestling at Double or Nothing, was on Chris Jericho's Talk is Jericho podcast, which you do need to listen to, and it was amazing. He buried the WWE talking about it. We all know that his contract was up. They made a big deal about that on WWE programming, that he's not re-signing and he is leaving. They squeezed every penny out of him with the Shield. And he went and talked about how he had just become bummed out. He, they sent him When they sent him a new contract, he said he didn't even look at it. No amount of zeros added to that figure could have kept him there. He was done with it. He was burned out. It, he said when he came back from the injury that so much of the stuff that was presented, and you can watch talking about how he was upset about how bad the city smells that you're in and all the other stuff that they did, how Vince thought it was going to be the best thing in the world. The creative process, we've talked about that on this show, has been terrible in the WWE for a long time with the writers and everything going through Vince. It's just not been working, and creative is terrible, and it ruined 
John Moxley said it ruined his fun of wrestling. And he loved cutting promos. He said the matches were the least fun. He loved having the matches, but he loved everything else going around in it. And he made him hate the rest of it. You need to look and listen to the whole podcast. It's going to be great what they talk about and how on his way out, the way that they did things and all of that. One of the big things that I got out of it as well was because, again, part of the reason they had the heel turn and he was feuding with Seth Rollins was because their shield bait, uh, Roman Reigns, announced he had leukemia and had to go away for a while. And they wanted him as a heel to talk and make mention of things about Roman Reigns' leukemia. And he said one of the things that they had given him in his script he couldn't say it because he said if he had mentioned it on TV, it would have lost them sponsors like the Komen Foundation and so many other sponsors, he said, would go away after what he said. And he would get all the blame, not Vince, who probably okayed it, and not everybody else. It would have been him who would have gotten the wrath of that. So he had just gotten so burnt out. And he said, again, his fun had been ruined. And now he's looking and feels so much freer being with AEW. And also, again, he is fighting... Uh, for the United States Championship in New Japan against Juice Robinson on June the 5th. So check that one out. That's going to be another fantastic event, the Best of the Super Juniors final coming up in New Japan. We'll talk fully about that next week on Modern Day Gladiators. But again, listen to the Talk is Jericho episode with John Moxley. Check out everything Jericho does with that podcast. It's got some great stuff on there. If you're looking a little more in-depth than what I bring you in wrestling, Jericho is where it's at, the Talk is Jericho podcast. But this has been Modern Day Gladiators, and this has been another phenomenal and glorious episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And of course, as always, like, download, subscribe, share, talk about it. Give us those five-star ratings. I will love you forever the more five stars you give us. But until next week, I have been Michael Shibley. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time.